I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Ryan Witt, who is healthcare cybersecurity leader of security firm Proofpoint, about a recent study conducted with the research firm, the Poneman Institute, examining the impact of ransomware and other cyber attacks on patient care. So Ryan, for starters, just very briefly describe what it was that you examined in the research For instance, who did you survey and when was this conducted? We have been interested for quite some time now, mostly through anecdotal evidence of looking at where cyber events have had an adverse impact on patient care, patient outcomes. And so we wanted to look at that in a bit more depth, put a little bit of structure behind our understanding of that sort of impact of the cyber criminal sort of spectrum. And so we decided to work with Ponymon to go through that and understand from their sort of perspective and using their survey methodology to see, you know, indeed, from the perspective of of healthcare executives, is that something that is an issue? Is that something that they're seeing in their institutions? And if so, to what degree is there a connection between a cyber event and an adverse sort of patient outcome? So that was kind of like the motivation. And then Ponemon has is their methodology where they go through a very comprehensive range of, of questioning. They, they survey a whole broad spectrum of, of job functions, but mostly on executive functions. They have spoke to several hundred people and they have this very comprehensive list of questions that they kind of put through to kind of obtain their, their data and therefore make their analysis. Survey was conducted for the early to mid part of this year. So I think it was basically kind of like, you know, March through summer, give or take. So Ryan, what were the most surprising findings or most disturbing findings? I think the most surprising or most disturbing or maybe the key takeaway of this of this research is that indeed there is a direct connection between a cyber event and an adverse patient outcome. And so they really looked at four types of, a, of attacks that are impacting healthcare, ransomware attacks, imposter or BEC style attacks, those attacks on healthcare supply chain. So those attacks that impact their business associates and then cloud compromise sort of attacks. And they looked at how each one of those sort of threat vectors impacted various aspects of the patient experience. So you know, to what degree that led to a, de- a delay of procedure and therefore maybe an adverse outcome? To what degree did that lead to a longer stay in the institution? To what degree did that lead to that patient having to be actually transferred to another facility because systems were unavailable to provide that patient care at their kind of home facility? To what degree that they had to add further complications with medical procedures as a result of a cyber event? And then most Tellingly, was there in fact, when you total all those sort of aspects, was there actually uh, a connection to an increase in mortality rate as it related to these attacks? And the conclusion was, yes, there was an increase in mortality rate. So summing it all up, if you're a patient of a health institution that has a cyber event, you know, based on the research coming from this, this sort of study, there's a chance that it impacts your mortality, you know, depending on you know, where you're at with your procedures and where you're at with your sort of patient sort of engagement journey with that institution. So yes, it can in fact mortality. 
so Ryan, with that said, were the responses based on evidence of the impact on patient mortality and the outcomes in the wake of these cyber attacks? And if so, what kind of evidence or were these responses sort of based on the impressions that the respondents had about the impact of the cyber attacks that they had at their organizations and that impact on patient outcomes and mortality? For instance, did they see or were there you know, any stats about mortality in terms of people dying while they're at the hospital or perhaps due to complications of whatever happened at the hospital after they went home and then, you know, they didn't have quite as good of care or services or, you know, how did this get measured? I mean, essentially it's a survey. So you're measuring people's impressions, right? So and the impressions are led to whatever formulated their experiences. So I think what led to us to want to have this study is there is a handful of articles that have been published over the last couple of years that talk very clearly about how a cyber event impacted a patient's experience. And so, you know, there was a quite significant article about a San Diego-based institution. I don't need to name check them there, but they were without their systems for about four to six weeks. So essentially they lost total access to their EMR for four to six weeks. That had huge impacts within that sort of community and within that sort with, with those patients. There's a similar sort of attack, a ransomware based attack. They hit an academic institution in the Northeast and they had they were down for a similar sort of timeline. And the New York Times actually wrote an article about that where they looked at how that event impacted various parts of that community. So they looked at it from a, everything from a hospital administrator to an infosec sort of executive to a oncologist to a patient. And they talked about, you know, what were their experiences of having to recreate that patient record from memory and on paper to having to take a cancer patient who was kind of mid-course on his chemotherapy sort of treatment and have them to go ship them to another hospital capable of delivering that experience, which in this case was Boston. So it was like three or four hours away. And and then kind of the turmoil, both logistically that uh, impacted that patient, but also kind of like the emotional turmoil about somebody's already going through a very, very serious event in their lives all of a sudden, and you think you're on this road to recovery or this possible road to recovery, and then essentially having the carpet pulled from underneath you and having to, you know, kind of change your plans on the fly. So I think it was based on not only their experiences, but there's also been enough articles that have been written about, about how ransomware events and other sort of events have impacted uh, health systems across the country and across across the world. There was an article about what happened in the UK for WannaCry. There's an article about actually in Germany where they did where they did actually quote that a death occurred from a ransomware event. So I think I don't know to what degree those articles and what led into their opinions versus what they known from their overall experience in their own institution. So it's kind of hard to make that assessment. But there was enough out there to certainly be able to make to at least lead to proof point wanting to measure that in a, in a more sophisticated manner. So Ryan, besides ransomware, what were the other top concerns of respondents? What about cloud, medical devices, third-party risk? How vulnerable did the respondents say their organizations are to incidents involving each of those? 
We looked at four main forms of attack, the ransomware attack, which is the one that's most topical. That's the one that kind of transcends healthcare. It transcends cybersecurity and that when we get together with our, our friends and loved ones at Thanksgiving, for example, people might talk about ransomware because it's just one of those things that is part of our zeitgeist now. What's less talked about are these imposter style attacks or as the FBI calls them, BEC or business e email compromise. Those are very impactful adversely. So in terms of pilfering uh, money and redirecting money, one of the most prevalent forms of attack on healthcare in particular is those that just attack the supply chain. So those are socially engineered attacks that prey upon the trusted relationships that healthcare has with their supply chain, their business associates. And then also they measured cloud compromise as one of those things where healthcare is adopting the cloud much more prolifically, and there has definitely been exposure there. The other thing that, that kind of came up was in terms of what are the other sort of uh, concerns that came out in the survey. And, and to your point, medical devices is one of those things where it came actually top of the list in terms of things they're most concerned about. And I'm not surprised by that. I mean, we, we've known that medical device vulnerability has been a been a, been a big issue for some time now. Now, we don't see as many examples of medical devices being hacked. And there's a famous Barnaby Jack presentation that I think it might have been Black Cat in 2008 in Las Vegas, where he kind of hacked an insulin pump on stage. And and he showed that it's possible and, you know, but 15 years later, 14 years later, we don't see many examples of those sort of attacks happening. And I think largely because one is it's a lot easier to fish somebody. You don't need a lot of inherent sort of, you know, cybersecurity or network security sort of knowledge to be able to do that. And then two, they're monetizing those attacks much more impactfully than I think the, the way they can monetize a, a medical device attack. So Kind of like, you know, we just started football season until, like I want to use an analogy, until you stop the run up the middle, they're going to keep running the ball up the middle. And right now the run up the middle is, is phishing and credential-based attacks. So Ryan, what about the financial cost of cyber attacks? What did the study show and what was the average cost to healthcare entities? Honeyman does, does a lot of work on this aspect of their research and have done so for many years now. And, and Ponymon concluded, and it's, you know, it's the relatively sophisticated sort of algorithm, but they, they concluded that about $4.4 million is the cost for a healthcare institution to recover from, from this sort of cyber event. And they kind of broke that into four main categories about loss of productivity, about disruption to the healthcare operations, about damage of theft of IT and assets, about remediation and technical efforts required to help them kind of get back to the common state or normal state. And then just generally the time required to ensure that the patient care sort of systems are kind of put back in place. And then have a sum of money at an average cost level associated each one of those, each one of those sort of categories. And you, you add those sums up and it's about $4.4 million, which the Ponymon have concluded, which is in line with, um, I think Ponymon's measuring this now for, gosh, the best part of 10 years. And so it's, you know, I think they've honed and refined that algorithm pretty, pretty well over time. And that's, I, I feel pretty good about how they come to that number. So Ryan, we see a lot of big data breaches that get reported in the healthcare sector involving vendors. What about supply chain attacks? What sorts of supply chain attacks were the respondents most worried about and or most frequently the victims of? It's those that are most easily monetized. We see that to be the primary motivation these days. I mean, you do have hacktivists still active. You have nation state 
actors active for sure in healthcare and they have a more motivation to maybe extract intellectual property, research data, et cetera. But for the most part, those who are attacking the supply chain are looking to an event that they can monetize and monetize as quickly as possible. So we find that those job functions who are associated in the supply chain perceived or otherwise perceived a reality of being able to redirect a payment or to authorize a payment or to set up a new vendor in the system, to approve an invoice, to prove a billing statement, you know, et cetera. Those people who are those individuals, those staffing functions that are in the business that work with their business associates are the ones that are under attack. And what we find more and more is that there's a level of sophistication of understanding about how each of those job functions work. And they utilize a lot of social engineering techniques to craft emails, to craft correspondences that are the right sort of uh, language, the right sort of altitude, the right sort of gravitas. So when they launch their imposter style attacks, the person who receives the email says, oh, it's coming from Jane Doe. This is the kind of thing Jane Doe would write to me about. Jane Doe is acting in a manner that's consistent with her job function. Jane Doe is using language that's consistent. And I'm used to receiving this correspondence from Jane Doe. So I'm more inclined to interact with that sort of correspondence. And, and very cleverly, in most cases, it's, you know, the, the emails initially are very banal. They're just very much about befriending, establishing rapport, building out the relationship. They don't ask for anything meaningful initially. And in some cases, they never act for anything meaningful because they're just largely trying to build that jigsaw puzzle of data over time. And then once they have an understanding of the environment, then they, then they figure out how best to go launch their exploit. In this case, for supply chain, a payment redirect or whatever. So Ryan, bottom line, what are the key lessons emerging from this report about the threats facing healthcare sector entities and any recommendations for steps that these organizations should be taking to better prevent falling victim? I, I think the bottom line here is we need to think in terms of cybersecurity more as a component of patient safety or a component of overall, overall patient care. You know, you could boil this down to the Hippocratic oath of like do no harm, which is still a prevalent sort of oath being taken today. And if you're if you have don't have the ability to provide patient care because your systems are down, or if you're causing a if you have a porous sort of environment where your patient data is being compromised and you're leaking, you know, important, valuable patient data to the dark web, it starts to sound like you're harming your patient. I think it's kind of against the ethos. So that's number one. Number two is to educate hospital boards that this should be seen, seen as a as a core, you need cybersecurity defenses as a core port part of, of make basically have an ability to meet your, your mission, right? So I think yesteryear it used to be thought of as a compliance issue or it used to be caught, thought of as a branding issue or a finance issue. And those things are still important, but we have found anecdotally that when you have a cyber security executive, a CISO, a CIO, a CTO, who could go make that connection to the reason why you would make an investment in cybersecurity is because it's core to who we are as an entity, it's core to our mission, it's core to patient care. They have a much better outcome and have a much better sort of conversation with those hospital boards, and they can therefore deliver a much more comprehensive overall 
cyber defense. And so they're more likely to not be those ones, those institutions that are having an adverse patient outcome as a direct result of a cyber event. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I've been speaking to Ryan Witt. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.